0: Morning Christchurch. I was on the phone yesterday um, with a, a woman whose father had just died, um, just died on Friday, and um, we were talking about the last days, the uh, last moments that she had had with her father. And there was this moment she described where a handful of family members came into the room where he was. They were there together, and the father, at, at this stage uh, had only rare moments of lucidity. Um, And this was one of them. So they come in, just a handful of family members, small group of people, they enter the room. The teenage granddaughter, in a very cheerful, uh, kind of vibrant way, greets him. And he says this, and these were the last words that she heard him speak, we're all here, I love you, may the grace of God be upon you. He said that to his family that was gathered there in that moment. What powerful words to be the last ones that that this woman heard her father speak and, and the other family members who were there in the room. We're all here. I love you. May the grace of God be upon you. Our gospel reading today are some of the last words that Jesus has to his disciples. In fact, it's part of a section in John, the Gospel of John, that's called the Farewell Discourse, another way of saying Jesus' last words to his disciples. He's saying goodbye to them and, and in, gathered in this, this, you could call it a, a speech, a conversation, a teaching, and a prayer all wrapped up together um, in these words. He says some of the things that are most dear to his heart, most meaningful to him, that he wants to make sure his disciples hear, and then he prays those things, the things that are most dear to his heart that the disciples would hear. So here he is at the end of his life, this final teaching for disciples. And what is he praying? What is he praying? He's praying for us, in fact. He's not only praying for the disciples there. But he's praying for all those who will believe through the message of the disciples. So his disciples will bear witness and this message will go out into the world and it will echo through time and it reaches to us. And this is a prayer for all who will believe the message of his disciples. He's praying for us in this moment. And what is he praying for us? He's praying that we would have unity, that we would be one. That's his prayer. That we'd have the same kind of oneness, in fact, that he and the Father have. You you cannot describe, there is no oneness that's any greater than the oneness that the Father and the Son that the Holy Trinity shares. And he says, this is the kind of oneness that I'm praying for, Father, for those who will believe through the message of my disciples. We're starting a sermon series today called Becoming Builders of Unity. And uh, if that phrase or that title sounds familiar maybe from the last series, it is. The first series in Advent, we did one called Becoming Tenders of the Garden. This is Becoming Builders of Unity. Our next series, it's going to be in Lent, is going to be Becoming Who We Are. And together, these three are over the stretch of some months that we're calling a season of shalom. What you might say, uh, these are various ingredients of, of shalom, and this is part of it, this call to Christian unity, the unity of the church, and to us to become builders of that kind of unity. Before we go further into John 17, let's pray. Jesus, even as I pray, I'm I'm aware that my prayers are folded into yours. This high priestly prayer we have in John 17, that you tell us that you, the ascended high priest, are eternally praying for us. Even now, you are at the right hand of the Father. And my prayers are simply folded into yours, joined into yours, and I pray, Jesus, that you would help us to grow in what it means to become builders of unity, that we would have the kind of character, that we would have the kind of hopes, that we would be filled with the kind of imagination and vision that you have for us, Jesus, and that by the power of your Spirit we would live into that. In your name we pray. Amen. So Jesus, again, he's just minutes away from his arrest. This is the end of his life. He's about to be arrested. And uh, and after that arrest will come this brutal um, torture and then execution. And this is just minutes before all of that happens. He knows what's about to happen. And the first words of his prayer are this, because he knows what's about to happen. Father, the time has come. He opens his prayer in John 17 that way. Now, imagine that you're about to be arrested, you're about to be tortured and executed. You have a few minutes of peace in which to pray. What are you going to pray in those moments? Jesus chose to pray for his disciples and for you and me, and you've probably had someone ask you, for for example, how can I pray for you? And This is what Jesus asked himself in this moment. He has a few moments of peace to pray asks himself, I can imagine, like, what is it, Father? How are you leading me to pray? How are you jo- leading me to join you? What are we going to be talking about? <laughs> and the answer comes that he is going to be praying for us. And we get a glimpse into the deep heart of Jesus here. We see how he chose to pray for us in this turning moment of his life, really this turning moment of history. This prayer is where he goes. And it tells us that Jesus has two deep longings that have to do with us that we find in this prayer. Two deep longings. He expresses these longings in what you might call purpose statements. So These purpose statements are how we get at the longings, the two longings of Jesus' prayer here. Let me say a little bit about a purpose statement. Purpose statement is when we state together both, both the means and the ends, the steps toward a goal. Where do we want to go and how are we going to get there? And Those two come together. For example, sand the wood so that the paint will stick. Why? Why sand the wood? So that the paint will stick. It's a purpose statement. That's why the statement is being said, sand the wood. Leave early so that you miss the traffic. Why leave early? So that you miss the traffic. Pray really hard for the cowboys that they might beat the buccaneers tomorrow night and Tom Brady will not have any magic. You get the idea. A purpose prayer says, do this so that this thing will happen. So here's the longing that we see in the purpose prayers, of purpose statements of Jesus. His first longing is that you and the people sitting around you, let's take that for example, that you and the people sitting around you would be one. That you, that we, Christ Church, that we would be one that God's people everywhere, all over the world, would be unified as one. Let's look at verse 20, verse 20 and 21. My prayer is not for them alone. That's the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. Why? Why is he praying for those who will believe through the message? So that all of them may be one Father. Just as you are in me and I am in you. Jesus is saying, my prayer is for all our followers, Father. My prayer is for the church through the centuries, for the church around the world to be one, for the church in Austin to be one, for Christ Church on Medina Street to be one, just like we are, Father, that they would share what we share. They would know what we know. His first longing is this oneness or this unity of the church. This is absolutely foundational to the, vow, to the vocation of the church, part of what it means to be called together as the people of God. Our vocation as the church, this is foundational to what he has called us to be and do in this world. The early church picked up on this in the words of Jesus in the writings of the New Testament, and they kind of enshrined it in the Nicene Creed. This very purpose of the church, every time we confess our faith together here, we say in the words of the Nicene Creed, I believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We confess our faith in this one church, this Catholic church, which means universal, global, all people everywhere, the wholeness of all that God has called into himself. I believe in the oneness and the Catholicity of the church. This oneness is not superficial. Jesus' aspirations for our unity is no less than what he and the Father enjoy. That is a high standard that he calls us to. Look at verse 22. I have given them the glory that you gave me. Why? That they may be one as we are one. You hear in that Kind of the tune of the triune God. We're starting to hear not just speaking about the Father or speaking about the Son, but now there's a kind of diversity of the Father and the Son, but a unity. The oneness of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit that make up the Trinity. The notes of the Trinity are here, kind of in the tune of this verse. In verse 22, you are in me and I am in you. You gave me glory, and I pass it on to them, he says. You and I are one, Father, and I invite them into our unity, into our community. Everything going on in the Trinity is extended to us, and then we are brought into it. We're invited into the life of the triune God. Jesus goes a step further in this prayer of longing for unity. His prayer reveals what material unity is built of. If we use that kind of metaphor of becoming builders of unity, what's the material? What are we building with? And Jesus goes a bit further to set to talk about that. This unity is built out of love. That's the material. Now look back at verse 22, and, and I've wondered about this verse a little bit. I have given them the glory that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. So there's a relationship apparently between the glory that we receive from God and this unity. And Scholars and commentators, it's not real clear to everybody exactly what is meant. What's the relationship of the glory that we're given? We are given that glory so that We can build this unity. And I was thinking about this, and and it just actually occurred to me this morning after I had finished writing the sermon and everything, and I was looking back over it, and I thought about this. That word glory, whenever John uses it in his gospel, he is often referring to the cross. His glory is the cross. And that is the place of supreme demonstration of love. So when he says, I'm wondering, I have given them the glory that you gave me, He's saying, I have invited them into the suffering life of sacrificial love like I have demonstrated or will demonstrate on the cross. I invited them into that life with me that they may be one as we are one. Because it takes sacrificial love to find this kind of unity. John tells us, listen to this, verse 23. We see how love is the material that we work with in building, becoming builders of unity. Verse 23, Jesus prays to God, you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. And then we get down to verse 24, Jesus prays to God, you loved me before the creation of the world. Verse 26, Jesus tells God, I'm going to keep showing them who you are so that the love you have for me will be in them. And that that theme is picked up Throughout that whole passage, this love of God poured out into Jesus, shared between the Father and the Son, that is then overflowing and extended to us. You hear the mutual love between the Father and the Son, and the Spirit is in on it too. St. Augustine is one of the great saints of Christian history, and he talked about the triune God this way as lover, beloved, and love itself. As the Father as love, Jesus as the beloved, and the Spirit as love itself. Jesus' driving concern for us is that we will know this love of God. How much does he love us? As much as the Father loves him. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment, what did he say? Love God and love your neighbor. When Paul tells the Corinthians about all the wonderful gifts that God has given, what does he say at the end of this long passage? describing all these really wonderful, excellent gifts for the building up of the church. And after all of that, what does he say at the end? He says, now let me show you the most excellent way. If I'm a great teacher and preacher and speak in tongues but don't have love... I'm just a bunch of pots and pans clanging. If I understand the deep mysteries of God, like the Trinity, and can prophesy, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. Even if I give everything to the poor and die a martyr, but don't have love, I don't gain a thing. Now, the words of Paul, the words of Jesus and the great command. The words that we have from this high priestly prayer in John 17 couldn't be more clear. The most excellent way is love. The greatest commandment is love. The epicenter of the Holy Trinity is love. And In some respects, that sounds so simple, and it is, but it's not easy. (laughs) A lot of things that are the most simple are not the easiest. The glue of the church's unity is love. If we want to become builders of unity, love is the material we must build with. So, Jesus' chief prayer at the end of his life is for unity, and this unity mirrors the love and oneness of the Trinity. This longing that Jesus expresses in this prayer is not just wishful thinking, like Jesus saying, if only, if only. Brian over there could put it all together a little better, then he could participate in this kind of love that the Father and I have. I can't wait till he gets his act together so that he can be part of this. This is a gracious and muscular kind of love that is being described here, a love with action, a love with consequence. Jesus demonstrated his love on the cross, this longing he has on the cross. Greater love has no one than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. Talk about words being followed by action. Word and deed matching. Just moments after he ended this prayer, the guards arrested him, and days later, he was, in fact, hanging on the cross. For the love of the Father, for the love of you and me. Now, some of you might be thinking, i having a struggle with that. He can't love me. You're thinking, what about that That sin? What about the way I hurt the person I love just yesterday, or that stain uh, on my history, or my conscience? Or what about that addiction? Or if people only knew, if people only saw, what about my failures as a parent, or son, or daughter, or friend? Not only does He love you, He likes you, (laughs) and He's saying, you are brought in just as you are, exactly as you are, with every, whatever those doubts you carry about whether God could actually bring you into that kind of love. He brings you in just as you are and is pleased with what he's made, and he longs to be with you, longs to, be near, to draw you near to himself. Listen to verse 24. It says this, Father, I want, and this is a strong desire, this word for want there. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. Now, that's you and me he's talking about, imperfect people, messed up. That's Jesus saying he wants us just as we are to be with him. And as we are with him, brought near, in fact, you can't get nearer than in, and we are in Christ. As we are brought near or in, as we are in Christ together, we're unified as one body. Now, here's the second longing. I said there's a couple of longings and a couple of that Jesus expresses in this prayer. The second set of purpose statements. And this is a prayer for unity so that we may be a witness to the world. This is another purpose for which he's asking for this unity to be among his church. Look at verse 21, may they also be in us. This is the unity, be in us. Why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. May God's people join the life of the Trinity, be in us. That's us he's talking about, Christ church, not just his disciples. May God's people join in the life of the Trinity, be in us. May may we be, in other words, a loving community so that others will believe. Now, the next purpose statement is kind of similar to this. Verse 23, may they be brought to complete unity. Why? To enjoy the benefits and blessings and turn to each other and say, isn't that great? Isn't this so awesome? No. Not for us. Not for our enjoyment. Though we Can enjoy it and we do enjoy it. But he's saying here, why is he praying that they might be brought to complete unity? May they be brought into complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you've loved me. So here, our unity gets tied to our very witness, to the very message of the gospel we proclaim. What's the purpose of this loving and unified people that the world? May, know is the purpose. We are a community for others. So at the center of the universe is this relationship. That is is the most profound thing I know. At the center of the universe is a relationship of love. It's the relationship between the persons of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the heartbeat of that trinity is love. The tune to which it dances is love. The motherload, you might say, deep in the mystery of the mountain of God is love. The most excellent way is love. The greatest commandment is love. The bottom of life, if you dig down deep, is love. Love which flows from the headwaters of the Trinity and flows by the foot of the cross and flows into the world, into his church, and through his church out into the rest of the world through our witness. This is the love that forgives all sin and makes all things new, the love of the Father through the Son. Jesus expects us then, having prayed this, to work at this kind of love, to work at what it means to be unified as his church. Our our first reading today was from Ephesians Ephesians, uh, chapter 4. And um, let's put this up. We, have, uh, we had a few verses from Ephesians that touch on this. It says, as prisoners for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And then he goes on to explain, what does the life look like that might be worthy of the calling we receive? Well, it looks like this. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Some things in the texts right there are going to be ones that we take a little bit deeper dive in the weeks to come in this series on Becoming Builders of Unity, now, where he says, be completely humble and gentle. These, these are Be patient. These are some of the traits that contribute to our unity. We're going to talk one week, for example, about humility, being humble and gentle and how that contributes. And, So we're going to take a deeper dive over the weeks to come into different aspects of what does it look like and what is the call and and how do we work towards what it means to be a people who are united. And and there are also many threats to that unity. There are threats external, threats internal to that unity. You know, in politics and media, it, it seems like fear and anger attack fuel Fuel the news cycle. If you want to win an election, it's probably not good to be Mr. Nice Guy. You're probably going to have to go on the attack. And that's what wins. And what gets clicks and social media and what sells advertising and news media, so much of it is fueled by that which just gets our blood boiling or gets us anxious or makes us fearful. We get activated by those things, but the problem is that those very things also cause deep division, and we see it in our country, deep division. These things can take root in the church as well. There are threats within, both of that nature, but also the more garden variety of gossip and grumbling and things that we all need to watch in our own homes and lives and friendships and everywhere. Be humble, Paul says, be gentle, be patient. Bear with one another in love." So Jesus prays this prayer, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Here's how I want to end this, uh, this message today. I want to pray together. I want to jo- we are going to join Jesus' prayer in exactly what he's praying for. And I'm going to reread the passage from John 17. Um, with some substitutions. Go ahead and put this up. Um, you'll see, this is a paraphrase of John 17, and you know that because you see Christchurch in there. <laughs> Instead of those and them, which is he's, pray, he's praying for those who will believe through the message of the disciples, he's praying for us and all believers. But we're, we're focusing our intercession in this prayer on, on this congregation and this community. And so wherever he says he's praying for those who will believe, or for them, we're gonna pray for Christ Church. In place of references where it says the world, we're gonna pray for the people of Austin. So basically, we're gonna just kind of localize this prayer and pray it for ourselves and our city. So, would you literally speak out loud, voice this with me, and let's close with this prayer together. My prayer is not for the disciples alone. I pray also for Christ Church, who will believe in me through their message, that Christ Church may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May Christ Church also be in us, so that the people of Austin may believe that you have sent me. I've given Christ Church the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the people of Austin will know that you sent me and have loved them all, even as you have loved me. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.